Hello, and welcome to this very exciting Thursday edition of Civilizations in Review. I'm here with two phenomenal content writers, Sarah Erickson and Paula Reynal, to talk about the Zirid Empire. Uh, really excited to learn more about this one. I didn't know anything about it when we officially chose it, so thank you, Sarah, for taking on the task to write it. For all those listening, you're here with us on Facebook Live, and welcome. This will also be posted to our Spotify, to our uh, YouTube, to our podcast, and to our website, so you can engage with all of this content and learn so many great things about the Zirid dynasty, Zirid empire, and the history of this wonderful, wonderful community. I'm going to throw it to Paula to read the one-on-one -on -one words and begin this great conversation, but thank you all for being here, and let's learn about the Zirids. Alrighty, so in the mountains of Ifriqiya, now Tunisia and eastern Al Algeria, the Sanhaja Amazigh community established the Zirid dynasty, also called the Banu Ziri. They later expanded the empire to Granada and ruled from 972 to 1152. The Zirid state operated under the Fatimids and were practicing Shiites until they declared themselves independent in 1048 triggering their eventual downfall. Nevertheless, the Zirid period is considered a high point in regional history, with agriculture, industry, trade, and learning, both religious and secular, all flourishing, especially in their capital. The Zirids are primarily remembered for their chroniclers, literature, agriculture, and impressive architecture that remains today. Thank you, Paula. Wow, um, a lot of things to jump into here. My goodness. Uh, my favorite question to start though, regardless, is what inspired you to choose this empire, Sarah? Yeah, well, first I'll thank you for having me. And then, so basically the real reason I chose this article is, or the Zirids was, I definitely knew I wanted to choose somewhere in North Africa. Um, a lot of my professors who really introduced me in the Middle East were experts in Algeria and lived there for a while. And so there's always kind of been a soft spot um, there for me. So I was looking around and I found the Zirids. Obviously they're in modern day Tunisia and Africa and I was pretty intrigued. And then I did a little bit more reading and I found out about their um, architectural history and I was pretty sold. Um, it's just pretty magnificent. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more, um, but it's really what got me interested in the Zirids. So I definitely wanted to jump into the architectural and basically the archaeological aspects that you do mention throughout uh, your um, writings on this empire, just because if you ask Ben, when it came to my empire, even though they did a lot of great things, I also um, was really interested into the archaeological aspects of it all. Yeah, so they have a, a truly gorgeous architecture style, something that's really detailed that involves a lot of carving. So there's a lot of the more preserved sites are in Grenada and Spain, where they had a colony, but there's still quite a few, um, specifically when, um, some massive castles and mosques in modern day Algeria. Some of those are in a little bit more ruined state because of past conflicts that have taken them down a little while, but kind of, especially the palace at Alhambra is probably the best um, kept archeological site. And if you look through it, there's just really beautiful um, decorative interior work. Um, really a lot of wood carving is the thing you, thing you see most, especially in like the archways and tunnels. And then there's also a lot of stonework on the outside. It's quite detailed. There's a variety of colors. And then on the inside, they use a lot of carvings. A lot of it tends to be in like a Quranic style. Um, and a lot of it was even painted. 
Um, a lot of that color has since disappeared, but we saw actually a lot of bright colors in their artwork, specifically some blues in their um, stone carvings. So that was something really, really beautiful. And they would also occasionally embed beads into um, their woodwork and their stones, giving a really, really beautiful um, look. And it still exists a lot of it today. I love that. I think the one of the like longest lasting impacts of most of these empires that we have in civilizations in review is their architectural marvels and the cool ways that they've built. Um, and I think what's lovely about the Zeroids is they are much more modern than a lot of our empires. So like the colors and the like shapes are almost fully intact still today. Um, do you have like a favorite architectural piece or, or thing you learned um, in this research? I, I love this question. Thank you for starting this here, Paula. Yeah, I definitely, I kind of mentioned it a little, but the blue stonework was probably my favorite. There's not a ton of examples of it left and a lot of it's been kind of ruined, but it, it mimics a lot of like the carving you see in wood um, and it's really gorgeous. Um, there's a lot of even Kufic script, which we saw, um, we see in a lot of different type of artwork from that time, but I think that was definitely my favorite. You can really tell like just the massive amount of time an effort that went into carving these sites. Um, and a lot of them are actually now um, UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Um, the Zerids have one in Granada and then their offshoots, the Hominids um, have one, I believe and it's in Algeria now. Um, but we can see that their architecture has really stood the test of time in a lot of beautiful ways. Incredible. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, the, the blue stones are are stunning. Please, everyone, and listening to this great conversation, check out some of the images of the Zerids and the great things that they have built. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a phenomenal, phenomenal place to begin. I, I kind of want to continue in this, uh, you know, legacy key accomplishments that they've done. Um, and you mentioned the Kufic script a little bit already. Um, do you want to talk about the literature and chronicles and and the beautiful language and things they have created with the language and words? Yeah, so as you talk about the Kupik script was pretty important and we actually have a lot of really beautiful um, like scrolls and Qurans written in this. The most famous one is probably the nurse's Quran. Um, and I would really recommend looking at photos of it. It's truly gorgeous. Um, but a lot of them were made by an unidentified individuals. Um, we actually don't know a lot of the artists one of the few um, artists slash chronicles, chroniclers that we do remember is, and I'm probably gonna butcher his name, Abd al-Aziz bin Shabad, um, but he was a prince ironically, but he was also a chronicler and he wrote a decent amount of the history of the area. And he's one of the reason, reasons that we actually have a lot of remaining literature. Um, the Zeroids weren't around for that long and we don't have a ton left from them. So the importance of their art, especially, is how we have a lot of the information that we do. Um, and they're actually in a lot of museums worldwide. There is um, one of the Kufic Qurans is in the Met, actually, uh, now, if people want to go check it out. So I love that you pointed out that uh, the Zerid Empire wasn't around for that long because they still have left such a tangible impact in the modern world, both um, when it comes to religion and languages and then just architecture. So I, I would love if we could talk about a little bit um, what you believe were some of the critical kind of turning points that led to an empire that expanded so fast and then started falling 
in such an equally fast manner. Yeah, definitely one of, I think, the most critical turning points and probably also one of the most important parts for their modern influence was in 1048, they actually declared themselves independent of the Fatimids. And an extension of that, of that was they rejected Shia Islam and they switched to Sunni Islam, which is obviously um, something that remains in the region today. And a lot of it is um, originated from the Zirid Empire. We also, they kind of opened the way for a lot more of the Amazigh, um dynasties rather than just the Fatimid ones. And so that kind of religious divide I thought was very interesting. And it also did kind of trigger their downfall in a lot of ways because it led the Fatimids to, to coordinate with local um, Bedouin tribes and kind of encourage them to try and take their land back from the Zirids. So it, it marks in a lot of ways a really crucial turning point and a major part of their influence that exists, but also their downfall. Um, and also, I guess, the, around the same time, we saw a lot of their military conquests and attempts going a little bit sideways. They kind of made a lot of enemies at about the exact same time, both land and sea. Um, and so that came back to haunt them. But the Fatimids and that kind of religious split was definitely, I would say, one of their most key moments. It's incredibly fascinating. There's a lot of like vassal states, quote unquote, um, that broke away to become their own empires. It's a relatively common thread amongst a lot of the civilizations that we have. Um, what do you think prompted that that break? Were they just fed up with you know paying tithes to the Fatimids, or did they want their own state? Do you have any you know information from your research on that split? Yeah, it was kind of a weird situation. <laughs> so there was the first leader, Bulgogin, and he was with the Fatimids. He got the state. He was technically a governor of the state, of the Fatimid state. Um, and when he had children, he actually he had two sons, and he split up his 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 land between um, his one son, who was the Zirid Empire, and then the other one was the Hominid um, Empire. And so that one actually stayed loyal to the Fatimids past the Zirids did. And so in a way, it creates a really interesting dichotomy because you can almost see like, oh, what if? And they didn't end up lasting actually that much longer than the Zirids did. They ended up getting taken over, but it was different circumstances and they didn't have the same kind of invasions from land. Um, so there was a lot of like local frustration and just kind of religious differences that led them to break off and, and also just to want to be able to control and expand their own empire. Ben knows my fascination over the uh, Romans. So I was about to make the whole comment of like, oh, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire, we saw how that ended up. But obviously much different because one ended up living like, or surviving 400 more years or way longer. Never mind, my brain is gone. But again, I saw that link um, when I was reading it. Another thing that I wanted to point out while we're talking about the um, rise and deep decline of the empire was I found it interesting the role that the coastal cities um, played. First, you see these coastal cities kind of um, creating opportunity for commerce and uh, bringing in all the funds that led to all the innovations that this empire sees. But then you also see those same coastal cities become a double-edged sword where it was most most of their weak points. So I don't know if you had done any more research further into this and had any insights that you could share with us. Yeah, it was actually something that I was really interested in as well. Originally, their capital actually wasn't a coastal city and they were definitely more agricultural based. 
Um, but as time went on, they kind of, one, they, they did switch a little bit more towards the maritime trade because it allowed them to get resources that they needed more. Um, namely, timber was actually a really important resource, which harkens back to the, um, the wood carvings and kind of the importance of art in the region. Um, but the other aspect of the switch to the sea um, was again, when they broke with the Fatimid empire, um, they encouraged a lot of the regional Bedouin tribes to take their land back. And so they started getting attacks from the land. Um, specifically, the Halalis were trying to take the land back and they were actually fairly successful in that. Um, and eventually they actually took the Zirid camp. Well, they were about to take the Zirid capital and so they moved it to Maqweb, which is on the sea. Um, and then they kind of leaned a little bit more into trading. This is kind of more towards their downfall. And for a while, they were pretty good allies with the Kalbid and emirs of Sicily. But as their military expansion grew um, through the sea, a lot of other people started to get quite nervous. And there were little skirmishes with a, a lot of people, the Genoese, the Pisan, Almoravids, um, Venetians, Normans. Um, and then it actually kind of culminated with the Normans and the Almoravids attacking the coastal cities. And that's kind of ultimately what led the Zirids to fall. So it was really interesting how maritime trade was really a double-edged sword for them. It, it led them to such economic prosperity um, that they're creating such beautiful art and had all these resources, but it was all ultimately kind of their downfall as well. What a fascinating story, especially as the Carthaginian empire, you know, centuries before this one, uh, like invented the maritime boats and I mean there were Phoenician outposts that landed in Tunisia you know hundreds of years later than the Zirid Empire and the maritime was its downfall. I find that very fascinating that the central Mediterranean uh, battle skirmishes I mean they were fighting a water and a land battle at the same time my goodness. Do you think and you've said it a couple times but I'm just really fascinated by this do you think them declaring their independence moving their capital were like the two reasons that in essence they ended so quickly largely would you would you sort of yeah there? i think in a lot of ways it does they made yeah. a lot of enemies very quick um in a lot of those actions which really didn't help their case they kind of alienated most of the people that lived around them and kind of surrounded them so they got increasingly forced into smaller and smaller territory um because even like the Hamids who were very similar in their brethren weren't experiencing the same pressures and the same number of attacks, but they also didn't expand at the rate the Zirids did previously. Um, and then we also saw even in like, they'd taken land in Morocco and they quickly lost that land again, um, just because the, the indigenous populations wanted to take it back and fought for it back. And so I think, I really do think that the break from the Fatimids triggered a lot of their downfall because right? it ended a lot of their protections. The Fatimids controlled um, a majority of the reason, region. So when they um, declared their independence, they became a big target. So they, they lost a crucial ally and then it's the age old story of spreading oneself too thin, or at least that's what I've gotten from it. Um, so within this line of thought, is there anything that really sparked your interest or that was surprising when you're researching uh, the fall of and how they had to retract their empire? 
That's a really good question. Yeah, there was definitely, I was always kind of, I really enjoyed the comparison of the hominids. I know I've talked about these about the hominids and the Xerid, just because I find that such an interesting dichotomy and kind of in their fall. Um, I guess I was surprised by how long they were able to hold on. Like we talked about how they declared their independence in 1048, but they didn't like fully collapse as a state until 1152, which is just over a century. Like they really, they were able to hold out for a while, even past this break um, and, and really endure a lot of the conflicts that they faced. And they did ultimately win a lot of them, just not enough. Um, and that's also how we see they made so many military enemies. But I was just really impressed by how long they were able to continue their empire even after doing these things that angered their neighbors. This is so incredibly fascinating and, and, and relatively unique, at least from, well, not unique that they got uh, through many battles on land and sea, but like the number of enemies, I, I think makes the Zeerds a little bit newer. Um, I think that's a testament to so many incredible empires coexisting all across the Mediterranean and Northern African region. But wow, I just I just find that so, so interesting. The uh, fight for their own independence was also the reason they then lost everything at the same time. Uh, what, a, what a kind of sad story in a sense. And yet their beautiful architecture and manuscripts and woodworking and everything has beyond remained. So it's an interesting like combo of things of they don't really have the land or the community or the rulership anymore but at least their beautiful products are, are able to still be enjoyed today um yeah is, is there any more to this sort of multi-front land and sea combo uh skirmishes that you that you research yeah i guess one little kind of i thought it was kind of interesting is following a lot of the land skirmishes when they lost territory it a lot of the Zerids just kind of went back to being nomadic. They just fully went back to their earlier lifestyle, especially kind of in the southern parts of the empire. And that kind of just fairly quick switch back was really intriguing to me that so many people were just give, basically kind of gave up agriculture and went back to the nomadic lifestyle um, as the land kind of got um, made independent. That really is definitely surprising. really interesting. Um, were there any other interesting um, facets or changes that you saw that arose out of the fall of the empire? Because we have talked about kind of the longstanding legacy. But it also, at least I find interesting to see what other things changed as soon as that empire ceased to exist, for lack of a better terminology. Yeah, so it actually kind of was definitely a really interesting after the fall we saw a lot more dynasties and empires similar to the Zerids than we did the ones before them so we saw a lot of more indigenous smaller empires rather than ones that were going and just trying to conquer massive amounts of land um, and so we saw definitely a real revitalization of the area um, and almost like I guess I'm not going to say like like a return to the land of the indigenous people because they're obviously like the Fatmids were local to the area, but we definitely saw a lot more of like regional control going back to like 
local tribes and just to a more micro level of the community, which I definitely thought was really interesting. And just like the size of territory got significantly smaller following the Zirids. There's something I, I like about that, the sort of like piecemeal community roots returning in a sense uh, of the breakdown of this empire. Uh, I think that also makes the Zirids quite unique because several other empires were like full conquest, military battle, or like fully absorbed into a brand new empire, um, which seemingly still did happen here, but has sort of this like extra component of, uh, no, I'm from this like ancestral area of land. This is going to be my like switch. That's really fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Cool. A lot of learn from the Zirids. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed learning about the Zirids. I thought they were just a really, really absolutely fascinating dynasty and people and just the amount of prosperity that they attained in such a short amount of time and then lost in, you know, a relatively short amount of time as well. Um, really struck me. I have one more question about the uh, religious shift. Um, I think that's it's very fascinating to shift, you know, schools of Islam, you know, clearly to break away from the Fatimids, they probably want to do the exact opposite, sure. But I was just curious if there was a, like a community-based reason or was it, you know, purely just to declare their independence? This was part of that independence declaration. It was mostly related to the independence declaration. A, part, yeah. a large part of breaking from the Fatimids is breaking from their religious identity, especially because it was so pervasive in the region by declaring themselves a Sunni state. They also um, kind of allied themselves with the Abbasid Caliphate that was Sunni um, to the east of that. Yeah, to the east. Um, and so that gave them some allies, but definitely not the amount they needed. So in a way, it kind of helped. And it also did when they um, declared themselves allies of the Abbasid um, Empire, it helped their maritime relations um, for a while. So there were definitely aspects of that at play. There is an economic benefit of um, the switch to Sunnism or to Sunni Islam. Um, and then also it would break with the Fatimids and kind of make them a little bit angry. They were also rejecting their religious identity. I can see why they got so many enemies so quickly. My goodness. <laughs> wow. Uh, go for it, Paula. I know you had a question you were about to say. Um, I was actually just on a different grain. Um... I was going to ask what part of the research was the hardest for you? Um, I know for me, what happened was the empire I covered was very old. And so when it came to modern influences, I really had to dig deep. So I wanted to know what uh, was the hardest for you out of all the sections that you had to write about. Yeah, I would say that probably like the ruling system and the economic part of it was definitely the hardest. I found that there was a lot of documentation the art and architecture as I talked about but very little about like the actual systems in day-to-day -day life um in the zero dynasty there is obviously there was some chroniclers but they didn't really detail that as much and so it's kind of it was reading a lot of docu documents and a lot of them were actually in Spanish or French um which was a little bit unhelpful for me um and also that their their ruling system was kind of a mishmash of a lot of other ones from around them. It was mostly based in the Fatimids because that's what they are a branch of, but they brought in a lot of like more local Bedouin traditions, especially in their military. Um, and just that wasn't as well documented. And so 
definitely the ruling system as an economics was the hardest. They also didn't have a lot of documentation on like the exact agriculture. So they definitely um, had a lot with like wheat, um, dates, olives were big exports, but a lot of the agricultural um, was not recorded as well. Fascinating. Yeah, that, that's uh, good to know that the there's a lot of different components to these empires um for a much more modern one like yours is maybe harder on some of the pieces where it was much easier to find i'm assuming at least for for paula the economics and ruling of an empire thousands of years before yours was um wow that's very very, very fascinating well we're at the very end here so any any final pieces of wisdom or, or final cool stories um that you learned about the zeroids that you'd like to share with our, our listeners um, I guess my my final last, like one of the things that I also found really cool is I know I've harped on a lot in the art, but I really did enjoy their art and something else I found really cool is they had um, like a lot of battle paintings. These were specifically on often like plates and they were really just intricately detailed as well. Um, that's a real hallmark of Zero art artwork was just how detailed and how much time clearly went into it. And so they're just gorgeous paintings with very vibrant colors. Um, and I just found those to be particularly amazing as well. Well, let's hope we have a feast on one of these beautiful paintings, <laughs> or maybe it's the centerpiece, we don't touch it. Either way, let's, let's hope we're near a uh, battle painting. I mean, they had so many enemies, so probably a lot to paint about, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, well, thank you, Sarah, for, for writing this really fabulous piece of history. It's really cool to know um, the beauty, beauties of Granada began in the Zirid Empire. So incredible spaces there. Thank you all for listening and tuning into this phenomenal Civilizations in Review talk. To read more about the Zirid Empire, there's many more gems that Sarah didn't mention. Um, make sure to head to our website, alfusaic.net. Um, again, you can see this call and read the research on so many of our social media platforms. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. Mm -hmm.